This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. In 1967, Robert Francis Bailey, a homeless man in Lambeth, London, finally found shelter in an abandoned building. He sat down in a stairwell with a bottle of booze. In 1986, George Mott, a retired firefighter in Crown Point, New York, prepared for bed. He turned on his oxygen enhancement machine, just like he'd been trained. In 1987, Barry Sudan, a handyman in Folkestone, Kent, put a pot of water on the stove to boil. He needed to take his prescription medication. In 2010... Michael Faraday, a retiree in Ballyban, Ireland, sat down in his living room to relax. He just built a nice fire. Minutes after each of these moments, all four men suddenly burst into flames. Their bodies, or whatever was left of them, were found hours later. While it was clear to investigators that the men burned to death, none of the scenes looked like typical fires. The flames were strangely contained to the victims' bodies. Instead of a charred corpse, their torsos were burned down to ash. All were suspected cases of spontaneous human combustion. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our first episode on spontaneous human combustion, a rare phenomenon where people suddenly go up in flames without any apparent source of ignition. After catching fire, only the victims burn. The flames don't spread any further. This week... We'll take a look at the history of spontaneous human combustion and why our obsession with these inexplicable fires has continued since biblical times. Then, we'll explore four distinct suspected cases. Next week, we'll dissect different theories that attempt to explain how each of these four fires started, what could have fueled the flames, and why spontaneous combustion blazes are so strangely contained.
Spontaneous human combustion is extremely rare. There have only been about 200 documented cases worldwide. Victims are identified by three specific criteria. First, there must be no indication of external ignition. When a post-mortem examination of victims is possible, it often appears that the fire originated inside the torso and circulated outward. Second, the victim is always severely burnt, but without any sign of accelerant, like gas. Often, the subjects are scorched down to the bone. In some cases, the bones themselves have disintegrated. Third, the fire is inexplicably contained. The victim's surroundings, even their furnishings and flammable objects like newspapers or cigarettes, are minimally damaged. Sometimes, they're even untouched. Occasionally, the fire is limited to just the victim's torso. Their legs and feet are left behind, attached to nothing but a pile of ashes. Statistically, suspected victims of the peculiar fiery phenomenon are most often women, overweight, and alcoholics. And they are almost always alone when the fire ignites. In this episode, we'll look at two cases that fit this profile and two that do not. Documented instances of spontaneous human combustion with an eyewitness are rare, but we dug some up. But first, let's take a look at the history of spontaneous human combustion and how our understanding of it has evolved as science and technology have improved. The earliest record of spontaneous human combustion is found in the Bible. According to the book of Leviticus, verse 10, Moses' nephews Nadab and Abihu met an unfortunate fiery fate. The brothers disobeyed God's command by burning incense. Immediately after, quote, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Sudden, inexplicable death by fire has always been strange and terrifying. In biblical times, however, no one thought it was random. If someone violently burst into flames, it was because of God's wrath. This biblical interpretation linked spontaneous human combustion with moral failing. Only impure, sinful people died from fires that seemed to come from nowhere. This moralistic point of view on spontaneous human combustion continued for centuries. In the early 19th century, the phenomenon was employed as a fear tactic to eradicate a common blight of the time, public drunkenness. Newspapers carried sensational articles reporting the horrifying deaths of drunks after they inexplicably caught fire. The articles were backed by temperance societies. They thought the risk of a dramatic, painful death could drive people away from overindulging in alcohol. So while these newspaper reports likely weren't 100% untrue, they were definitely blown out of proportion. The term spontaneous human combustion originated around this time, likely in one of these articles. But the phenomenon gained real traction when it was utilized by a popular artist and entertainer of the time, Charles Dickens. In 1852, Charles Dickens wrote Bleak House, a novel that was originally published in monthly installments. The story illustrates the struggle of the urban poor during the Industrial Revolution. 
Dickens latched onto the inherent drama of fire inexplicably erupting from inside of a person. Playing into the biblical connotation that only the wicked went up in flames, Dickens built spontaneous combustion into the death of his villain, Mr. Crook. In the story, Mr. Crook was a parsimonious, paranoid old drunk. He interrogated every person who entered his creepy, cluttered shop full of secondhand wares. He treated his tenants like criminals. He was universally mistrusted and despised. On Mr. Crook's last night on earth, his upstairs neighbors smelled a pungent odor wafting up through the floorboards. It appeared as if the old alcoholic was cooking rotten meat. As the evening wore on, smoke filtered up into their apartment. The windowsill collected a film of yellow grease. Finally, the neighbors went down to Mr. Crook's apartment to investigate. As they descended, the putrid scent got stronger with every step. By the time they reached Mr. Crook's bedroom, the smell was so overpowering that it became difficult to breathe. They spotted Mr. Crook's hat and coat sitting on a chair, but there was no sign of the man himself. That's when they noticed a pile of ashes on the floor. Mr. Crook's demise caused quite a stir. Most readers enjoyed the appalling twist, but not everyone was so delighted. Experts in the scientific community challenged the validity of Crook's death. In opinion pieces published in newspapers like The Leader, they claimed that spontaneous human combustion was scientifically impossible. And it was Dickens' friend, scientist, and literary critic George Lewis who led the attack. Dickens was known for the accuracy of other physical maladies in his novels, like smallpox and neurological dysfunction. Lewis felt that Dickens was being irresponsible and perpetuating an urban legend. But Dickens couldn't be convinced by his friend's argument. In his next installment of the novel, he defiantly included a list of confirmed examples of the phenomenon. His primary source was a book called The Anatomy of Drunkenness. Dickens' explanation for the physical cause of spontaneous human combustion relied on a discovery dating back to the late 18th century. Around that time, chemists were able to observe pure oxygen for the first time. They concluded two things. Oxygen was the critical component in human respiration, and oxygen was highly flammable. With this new understanding, some scientists concluded that breathing fueled a steady, constant fire inside our bodies. That fire supposedly fueled our movement. With fire burning internally around the clock, it made sense why some drunks might suddenly burst into flames. Alcohol was a known accelerant. Once there was too much booze in the system, it was only a matter of time before they burst into flame. Dickens' friend Lewis, however, debunked the theory that we all have some kind of internal pilot light constantly burning. He pointed out that human bodies are also approximately 75% water, far from flammable. But Dickens wouldn't back down. He refused to revise Mr. Crook's death scene and continued to rebut Lewis's claims in public forums like the newspaper opinion pages 
until he published the final installment of Bleak House in September 1853. After that, it appears the old friends buried the hatchet. Our understandings of both fire and the human body have drastically improved since 1853. But when it comes to spontaneous human combustion, science can't explain everything. Coming up, the bizarre and gruesome details of real-life cases of spontaneous human combustion. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The biblical history of spontaneous human combustion linked the phenomenon to the deaths of unfavorable people. Charles Dickens famously reinforced this interpretation in his 1852 novel, Bleak House. But time has told a new story. Not every victim of these strange and grisly fires has been a villain. Let's travel back to quaint and quiet Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, on the morning of November 8, 1964. Inside a stone house in the Drexel Hill area, Two children watched TV at their grandma's house. The kids had spent the night with their grandmother, Helen Conway, a 51-year-old widow. Around 8.30 a.m., a bell rang upstairs. Mrs. Conway wasn't very mobile and used the bell to communicate with others in the house. When Mrs. Conway's granddaughter, Stephanie, heard the ringing, she knew what to do. She dashed up the stairs and into her grandmother's sitting room, There, Stephanie found Mrs. Conway sitting in a chair in the corner. Mrs. Conway asked for Stephanie to bring her a book of matches. Stephanie obeyed her grandmother and then returned to the TV downstairs. Just a few minutes later, one of Mrs. Conway's neighbors, whom we'll call Mary, passed by the house on her way to church. She noticed a strange glow coming from an upstairs window. Mary knocked on the front door. When Stephanie answered, she brushed past her, sure there was danger inside the house. Mary tried her best to get up the stairs, but had to stop halfway. The heat was too intense. Mary thought quickly. She dashed to the phone and dialed the fire department. The firefighters arrived around 8.50, only about 20 minutes after Stephanie delivered the matches to her grandmother. In those 20 or so minutes, Mrs. Conway's sitting room hadn't changed dramatically. But Mrs. Conway had. Firefighters had to use heat-resistant gloves to open the door. The room was smoky, but there were no visible flames, no sign of an active fire. But it was clear where the fire was. The corner where Mrs. Conway had been sitting was now burned completely black, almost all the way to the ceiling. There was no chair left, and no Mrs. Conway. Well, very little Mrs. Conway. Her entire body had burned away, except for her legs below the knees, which still rested freakishly against the edge of her chair. 
The back of Mrs. Conway's chair had been completely decimated. Her head and torso burned down to the bone. A metal bracelet hung from the charred bones of her wrist. But her bare legs below the knee were only blistered, not burned. When the blisters were broken, they were wet. The moisture inside the blisters indicated two things. First, that Mrs. Conway was alive at the time of the fire. And second, that her body composition had not been dramatically altered by the flames or whatever caused them. Her body, like all human bodies, had remained primarily water-based. Perhaps the strangest feature of the scene, even stranger than Mrs. Conway's disembodied legs, was the fact that the fire was already out. It had only been about 20 minutes since Stephanie had come upstairs. Even less time had passed since their neighbor, Mary, first witnessed the fire through the window. Normally, when bodies are burned to the point of complete obliteration, they have to be exposed to extremely high temperatures for several hours. It seemed impossible that Mrs. Conway could have burned so completely, so fast. With those circumstances in mind, investigators were initially convinced that an accelerant must have been present, but no such substance was ever found. The most perplexing feature, however, seemed to be the minimal damage done to the sitting room. A fire burning hot enough to completely cremate Mrs. Conway should have destroyed everything around her. But the damages to Mrs. Conway's house and belongings were minimal. A telephone near her chair was partially melted, but none of the other objects next to the phone had been affected. A package of cigarettes about three feet from the body was completely intact. Strangely, a television set in the adjoining bedroom had also begun to melt. Right next to the liquefied TV was a plastic doll dressed in tulle a highly flammable fabric. But somehow, it did not ignite. Mrs. Conway's death was blamed on her carelessness with either the matches or her cigarettes. Investigators documented several small round burns throughout her house, indicating that Mrs. Conway had a habit of dropping lit cigarettes. While this explanation makes some logical sense, it doesn't explain how the fire tore through Mrs. Conway's flesh so quickly. Many experts remain skeptical. Fire Chief Paul Haggerty, who responded to the 911 call that day, remains haunted by the case. He said, regarding the official cause of death, it's impossible. You could stand there with a blowtorch and you wouldn't be able to consume her body that fast. Chief Haggerty doesn't attempt to present any logical reasoning for Mrs. Conway's death, but he does point out that Mrs. Conway's remains looked different than the remains of any other fire victim he'd ever witnessed. There was always clear evidence that the fire had come from a source outside the body. This was something entirely different. Chief Haggerty wasn't the only fire professional that's been baffled by the unexplainable. Years later, and many miles away from Mrs. Conway's home in Pennsylvania, firemen were yet again scratching their heads. On Thanksgiving weekend, 1979, Mrs. Beatrice Oxkey waved goodbye to her son Frank from the doorstep of her modest home in the small Illinois suburb of Bolingbrook. 
Frank was embarking on a long mountain drive to go skiing. Mrs. Oxkey was a plump, brunette, 51-year-old housewife. She walked with a limp, her metal ankle brace clanking with every step. She had broken her ankle years before, but because she suffered from diabetes, the break never properly healed. After seeing Frank off, it was a relief to sit down in her favorite chair in front of the TV. It's likely that Mrs. Oxkey enjoyed a beverage that evening alone in her house. She had a known drinking problem. Despite her circumstances, Mrs. Oxkey didn't let much bother her. She wasn't preoccupied with her health problems or distressed about spending a holiday weekend alone. According to her son Frank, Mrs. Oxkey only had one fear, fire. The next morning, Mrs. Oxkey's former daughter-in-law, Shelley, stopped by to retrieve some belongings. She wasn't surprised when Mrs. Oxkey didn't answer the door immediately. She knew her mother-in-law couldn't move very fast. But after several minutes passed, Shelley became concerned. She let herself inside. Shelley noticed the house smelled smoky. She called out to see if anyone was home. When Mrs. Oxkey didn't answer, Shelley dialed 911. The local fire department responded quickly. Lieutenant Jim Grissom was among the first on the scene. He observed the same smoky odor that spooked Shelley, but none of the telltale foul smells that are generated when a human body is burned. But when the firefighters reached the living room, their mouths dropped open in shock and horror. On the living room floor, where Mrs. Oxkey's favorite chair had been, there was now a pile of black ash and charred bone. The remains would not have been immediately recognizable as human, except for one dreadful detail. Just like Mrs. Conway, Mrs. Oxkey's legs below her knees were still intact. Her torso and head were burned completely, not just beyond recognition, but beyond existence. There was no longer a torso, head, or even a discernible bone structure. There was only black ash. But Mrs. Oxkey's feet weren't even scorched. Her distinctive ankle brace and both her shoes were largely unscathed. It was an unnerving sight, a disembodied pair of human legs laying on the ground on top of a pile of ash. The firefighters investigating the scene had never seen anything like it. Normally, when a human burns, firefighters and investigators expect to find the core of the body intact. The outermost extremities, like the earlobes, fingertips, nose, and exposed toes, are the first things to be burned away. Mrs. Oxkey had somehow done the opposite. Her upper body and torso were completely obliterated but her lower extremities had remained intact. Mrs. Oxkey's ghastly legs weren't the only unusual thing about the scene. It was extremely rare for firefighters to find a human corpse that had been so completely annihilated by fire. Incinerating the deceased in a crematorium requires temperatures of 1400 to 1800 degrees Fahrenheit for several hours. Even after cremation, some human bone fragments remained. But many of Mrs. Oxkey's bones had been completely destroyed. 
Mrs. Oxkey weighed over 170 pounds before she caught fire. Investigators removed only 65 pounds of bodily material from her home. The complete decimation of Mrs. Oxkey's torso and head suggested a very hot fire had burned for a very long time. But there was no other evidence of such a fire in her home. Mrs. Oxkey's legs weren't the only inexplicable survivors of the blaze. There were other flammable items nearby that had not ignited. The Bic lighter and a newspaper on a table, both within arm's reach of Mrs. Oxkey's chair, had not burned. The plastic telephone and lampshade right next to the body hadn't even melted. There were blackened burn marks on the ceiling directly above what was left of Mrs. Oxkey. It appeared the fire had burned directly upward, but it wasn't clear why it hadn't spread any further. Mrs. Oxkey was a smoker, and one fire investigator suggested that the fire could have started when she fell asleep with a lit cigarette. But Mrs. Oxkey's family immediately rejected this possibility. In the past, Mrs. Oxkey had fallen asleep with a lit cigarette. She only suffered a circular burn where the cigarette fell on her abdomen. Mrs. Oxkey's son, Frank, and the rest of her relatives refused to believe that such a drastically different outcome could share the same root cause. Firefighters and fire investigators were baffled. But when spontaneous human combustion was brought up, many investigators refused to consider it. The phenomenon was considered a myth among many experts. But others, even men who previously had written off spontaneous combustion as folklore, found themselves seriously considering the possibility for the first time. They could come up with no other explanation for the peculiar circumstances they found inside Mrs. Oxkey's home. Mrs. Oxkey and Mrs. Conway are two often cited cases of suspected spontaneous human combustion. They have many similarities. Both women were older smokers who died alone. They were discovered after the fact among surroundings that were strangely unaffected by the fires that killed both women. And both women left behind a pair of creepy, disembodied legs. But next, we'll examine two cases of alleged spontaneous human combustion that are more modern and less typical. Both arguably caused even more trauma and anguish than Mrs. Conway or Mrs. Oxkey's death because both these cases were witnessed firsthand. Coming up, rare Eyewitness accounts of spontaneous human combustion. Now back to the story. In 1964, 51-year-old Mrs. Conway's torso burned to the bone in only 20 minutes, leaving behind a grisly pair of legs. In 1979, 51-year-old Mrs. Oxkey perished in her home after another mysterious fire. Her legs were also strangely left behind. But not all suspected instances of spontaneous combustion can be considered the same. Take, for instance, 17-year-old Jacqueline Fitzsimon. In 1985, Jacqueline was a culinary student at Halton Technical College in Widnes, England. 
On a cold day in January, she and two friends completed an exam early and spent the last 15 minutes of their class period loitering around the classroom's hot ovens. When class was complete, Jacqueline strolled out of the classroom, one arm linked with each of her friends. The girls proceeded down the busy staircase, brushing past other students headed up it. When Jacqueline reached the landing, she paused. She called out to her friends, My back's hot. Am I on fire? Then she screamed as the students next to her stepped back. Flames were suddenly leaping off her back. One of the other students on the stairs, Neil Gargan, helped Jacqueline's friends smother the flames with their jackets. Gargan had the fire out in just a few seconds, but he felt like it took forever. But the damage had already been done. When Jacqueline arrived at the hospital, doctors found that she had suffered burns over 13 to 18% of her body. The apron she wore for culinary class had melted into her back. Although Jacqueline's wounds seemed relatively minor, she passed away about two weeks later. Ultimately, it was a lung infection triggered by smoke inhalation, not her burns, that resulted in her early death. An inquest following Jacqueline's death found that the fire resulted from her apron igniting after she leaned against the hot oven in her culinary classroom. However, a reenactment found that the apron only would have smoldered for 30 seconds before fully igniting. Several witnesses observed Jacqueline standing at the back of her classroom for a full 15 minutes waiting to be dismissed. So although the smoldering apron is the official ignition source on record, many skeptics believe there's more to the story. Our final mysterious fire death also took place in the UK, but it packs even more drama. In Edmonton, a district of London, a father and daughter, John and Jeannie Sappin, were relaxing after dinner on a warm evening in September 1982. 61-year-old Jeannie had lived at home her entire life. Born with physical and mental disabilities, she was beloved by her family, especially her mother. But the matriarch had recently passed away. Though still mourning, Jack and Jeannie had finally found a new routine. Jack sat at the kitchen table packing his pipe with tobacco. Jeannie sat beside him, paging through the newspaper. Jack briefly turned his back on Jeannie, but an odd glow at the edge of his vision made him redirect his attention. What he saw made him gasp aloud. Jeannie was blowing fire out of her mouth. Jack rushed to his daughter and tried to extinguish the flames. Don Carroll, Jeannie's brother-in-law, was in another room of the house when he heard the commotion. When he arrived in the kitchen, he couldn't believe his eyes. Don described the scene by saying, as a child, you hear fairy stories of a dragon breathing fire. That's just what I walked into. The flames were coming out of Jeannie's mouth, a good two feet, maybe more. And there was a roaring sound. Don scrambled to help John put out the fire. He filled up bowls of water at the kitchen sink and used them to douse his sister-in-law. It wasn't easy. Don couldn't believe the volume of the flames that appeared to emit from inside Jeannie. Even as he dumped water on the fire, 
he felt like they kept reappearing. Don worried about getting burned himself. He had to duck to avoid the flames shooting out of her abdomen and mouth. Finally, the two men managed to extinguish the flames. The three of them just stood there, overwhelmed by the event they'd all just witnessed. Even Jeannie, who was suffering from burns on her face and midriff, seemed totally stunned. Dawn remembers that she didn't even cry out in pain, but just stood there, eyes wide. Eventually, Jeannie was taken by ambulance to a nearby hospital and admitted to the burn unit. Jeannie was burned over 30 to 40% of her body, and she quickly dropped into a coma. Eight days later, she was dead. Constable Lee Marsden was assigned to investigate the incident and write up a formal report. But his inquiry left him with more questions than answers. The official coroner's report stated that there was no evidence of burning at the back of Jeannie's throat. That evidence called into question the validity of Don and John's story of Jeannie breathing fire. However, according to Don, the inside of Jeannie's mouth was burned. The tissue inside the human mouth is extremely moist, and it heals more quickly than our exterior epidermis. It could be possible that any burns Jeannie suffered inside her mouth healed during her six-day stay in the hospital before she passed away. Constable Marsden also struggled to identify a viable source of ignition. Jeannie never smoked. Because of her disability, her father didn't think she was even capable of striking a match. John's pipe, freshly packed with tobacco, was on the table when Jeannie went up in flames. But it wasn't lit. And there was no gas points or electrical sockets near Jeannie at the time. Constable Marsden even sat down in Jeannie's chair to see if there was any possible way he could reach the only fire source in the room, the pilot light on the stove. It was impossible. The constable was left unable to explain how Jeannie had suddenly caught fire. At no point, however, were Don or John accused by the authorities of starting the blaze. Don has a theory about why he and John were never suspected. The police know it was human combustion. They know, but they will not tell anyone that that is what it was. Jeannie's family was sure that they witnessed her spontaneously combust. Although the authorities were baffled, they were unwilling to list spontaneous human combustion on the official record, presumably for fear of ridicule. In Jeannie's case, just like in all the cases covered, her death simply could not be explained. All the cases we examine today fit the three criteria of spontaneous human combustion. None of the fires had a clear source of ignition. Somehow, every fire was intense enough to kill the victim without any accelerant. In each case, the victim was the primary, if not only, fuel for the fire. These fires were lethal, but caused very little collateral damage. Next week, we'll explore several theories that explain how spontaneous human combustion could occur. First, ignition. What could possibly start these deadly, powerful fires? Could Mrs. Helen Conway and Mrs. Beatrice Oxke's careless smoking habits have made them both go up in flames? <laughs> 
Perhaps their cigarettes or Mrs. Conway's matches interacted with another highly flammable material, a natural accelerant that our bodies generate in abundance, methane gas. Jeannie Safin had no clear source of fire close to her, but her family believes her grief over losing her mother resulted in the flames. Could human emotions generate fire? Many people blame Jacqueline Fitzsimons' proximity to a hot oven for the fire that ultimately killed her. But there could be another, less obvious ignition source. Static electricity. And it's incredibly common. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with part two of Spontaneous Human Combustion. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>